If you turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 as we finish chapter 6 up. And while we turn our attention to these next couple of chapters, you know, sometimes we're, we're tempted to believe because we, we read in the media or we watch on television, we see kind of the direction much of the church is going, that God is unconcerned with our personal holiness, that somehow in the world that we live in that we're supposed to change how we actually act and to really kind of lower ourselves to the world's level. And I want to remind you these next couple of chapters are some of the strongest language in the entire New Testament with regard to our personal responsibility to be holy as God is holy. And while I mean to beat no one up, I will tell you that these truths are truths that we're supposed to live. They're not ethereal. They don't float out there in the ether somewhere. They're not something that someone else is supposed to do. These are truths we're supposed to live. And the reason I'm starting this way is this. Very often, people simply, when they begin to hear something they don't like, they turn off the volume. They, they kind of shut the mic off. It would be as if you were at back at the soundboard right now, and, and you, you could pull the fader down, and you would go, blah, 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 blah. That is a spiritually dangerous thing to do. Because the Bible is filled with instruction to the church that while direct and and while transformative in the way that we should live, if we'll allow God to speak to us, it can also be ignored. And those things are ignored at our peril. And I have lived long enough, Connie and I have been in ministry for more than three decades And I can tell you that to ignore these truths, you do so at your own peril. If you're here tonight and you are a parent, you need to listen. Because you're going to be in this situation eventually. If you have children, your children have hormones. Amen? And there's going to come a point in time when they're going to figure out they've got hormones. And then they're going to meet that sweet boy or that beautiful girl. And you're going to think, that's so cute. That's just awesome. They're trying to figure out what love is. If your children know the Lord, if they're walking with Jesus then your response to their hormones and to them coming to that place to where they're thinking about boys or girls ought to be in light of this passage. Do not be unequally yoked to an unbeliever. Now you're probably going, ah, legalist. No, no. I'm a biblicist, and I am definitely a truthist, and I have lived long enough and counseled hundreds of people 
married couples, unmarried people seeking to get married, and people who are just plain wanting to figure out what life's all about to tell you that for a believer to be unequally yoked to an unbeliever is not only dangerous, it's borderline suicide, spiritually. And so tonight, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is calling us as a church to be sanctified and to be separate. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, as we read, as we listen, as our hearts are inclined towards heaven, would you speak to us? And Lord, I pray that no one would be under bondage, that no one would be placed somewhere where you don't want them, but that we would have an honest fear of not being different than the world that we would have a holiness in our lives that is distinguishable from people who don't know you. God, that we would be in this world as you are in this world, holy. And so God, speak to us tonight through your word and empower us to live it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 11, 2 Corinthians 6 Oh, Corinthians. Now remember, Paul's writing to a troubled church. This is his second letter. He's writing to clear up some of the things that are still yet misunderstood from his first letter. We have spoken openly to you, and our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us. You're restricted by your own affections. Now return for the same. What he's saying is, okay, you've had your peace. You've spoken your bit. You've said what you need to say, now listen up. Gird up your loins, put on your big boy and big girl pants, and get ready. For I speak to you as children. You also be open, and here it comes. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship, and I want you to circle the adverbs in this particular passage. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? How can someone who does not know the Lord have sweet communion with someone who does know the Lord? The answer is they can't. Someone who doesn't know the Lord cannot have Christian fellowship with someone who knows the Lord. Because they're not a believer. This is a simple thing. This is not a complex theologic problem that one needs to figure out. Don't be unequally yoked. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? You're going to notice these are stark absolutely oppositional pieces of information. They are polar opposites. Light and darkness are polar opposites. In fact, if there is a little bit of light, darkness can't exist in it. Or what accord? You see it? What fellowship 
What accord? And that is a symphonic musical term. It means what symphony can be played by Christ playing with Belial, the devil? What music is going to come out of that? What harmony do you think there will be? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell with them. In other words, this is a statement. You are the temple of God. You're the dwelling place of the Most High. You're the place where the Lord lives on this earth in that sense. You are the church. We are the church. We are his people. We we are God's representatives on this planet. We belong to the Lord. We were purchased by the blood of the Lamb of God. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life that I now live, Paul said, I live for him. And I want you to lay hold of this truth. And please do not let the severity of it cause you to turn off your hearing. Because I think much of the problem that Christians face in this world comes from the violation of this very deep principle. Because when we will not separate ourselves from the world, and we're not talking about you living in a cave and being a monk, we're talking about you standing always, every day, for the Lord Jesus Christ. In everything. In your relationships. In your workplace in the liberties you take, in the leisure time that you spend, in the way that you spend your money, in what you do, how you earn a living, where you go in business. All of these things are to be in the hands of the living God, for we are his temple. We are a walking, talking temple of the Holy Spirit. We actually represent Christ in this world. It's as if when you show up, a bus door opens up and out steps Jesus. And so whoever comes out of that bus, that's who we represent. We are to be sanctified and separate. Come out from among them. He says, I will be their God. They shall be my people. And therefore, come out from among them. And I will receive you and be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. A shortened version of this directive exists in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, and it says there simply, Be ye therefore imitators of God as little children. You see, when you think about this passage, there is no part of your life that it doesn't apply to. 
It doesn't say come out from among them except with regard to making a living. It doesn't say come out from among them except with regard to dating. It doesn't say come out from among them except with regard to your leisure time. It doesn't say come out from among them except on the weekends if there's a good party. Paul is saying, look, here's the problem, church at Corinth. You've forgotten what it's like to actually withdraw yourself from the world and be set apart for the Lord. That's what it means to separate ourselves. And it is unfortunate to me that this doctrine of separation has been so misunderstood and so abused when it is actually essential to the church. Because on one hand, you have very sincere, zealous Christians who have turned separation into kind of this religious isolationist, kind of like, you know, preppers for Jesus. You go live in a cave, you try not to buy anything that was ever produced by a non-believer, you try and drive cars where the fuel in them has been produced by people who love the Lord. Kind of sounds impossible, amen? I'm making it impossible for a reason. Because it's impossible. Paul's not saying, God's not speaking to us, saying you need to completely isolate yourself from unbelievers. He's saying you need to be different than unbelievers. Distinctly different than unbelievers, I might add. And that is where the church has missed it, I believe. Because a lot of the church, when you watch the way they live, you watch what they buy, you watch what they read, you watch and listen to the music that they're listening to, you're going to find out there's very little difference between the church and the world. And so when someone in the world examines our life, they don't see us as imitators, as as little children of God, they see us as imitators of the world, and that's what they are. So they get the wrong impression about God. And they get it from the church. And again, please do not be beat up. Listen carefully and look at your own life and ask yourself, are there areas of your life where you're not being sanctified? You're not being separate. You will not go where God wants you to go. Because he's not going to take all your fun away. He's going to make your fun holy. He's going to make your love life sanctified. He's going to give you pleasures like you've never known. He is not going to make you mean-spirited, angry. He is going to make you loving, gentle, and kind. And you're probably going to have more friends than you've ever had before. And oh, by the way, they're going to be real friends. You see, there's a misconception that if you walk in this world the way the Lord wants you to, that you're going to become irrelevant. Let me tell you, you will not only not become irrelevant, you will be no more relevant than you are representative of Jesus. If you represent the Lord, I've been going back and forth, all my Laker friends, and me being a Clipper fan, just saying, it's okay, you can boo, I don't care. When we beat you in that first game, you can talk to me then. No, and this is how it's gone, I've been going back and forth with everybody, and it's like, you know, we've had these kind of conversations, like, no, let's just represent, amen? Amen. Look, it's okay to have some healthy competition. What better thing than have the two very best teams in the whole NBA, both in L.A., amen? 
So, so it, to me, it's a good thing, but we, we all should represent. And so I actually love, love the fact that when somebody comes to me and says, man, I'm a Laker fan, I go, praise the Lord. I've been waiting for 40 years for a championship. So don't disrespect my time. But we should represent. You see, someone will know by who you represent. Are you representing Jesus with the same ferocity that we represent sports teams? I pray it's even greater, amen? You know, whether you're wearing purple and gold or red, white, and blue, we ought to all be wearing Jesus, amen? You see, for me, I look at these things and I go, Lord, am I representing you? Don't let me take this extreme opposite position. Well, I'll just break down all the walls. You know, I, I don't want anybody to you know, to not think that I care for them. And it's turned into this absolutely intolerant tolerance we have. Amen? Because the only thing that the tolerance of our day is producing is tolerance for sin. I am in shock when I watch things. It's like, man, you can say any filthy, vile thing you want, but don't represent Jesus. You can do any disgusting, despicable thing in our world and in our country. You can change the curriculum as we are doing in our state right now to teach your eight-year-olds about lesbianism. We can do that, but we don't have any parents going to the school board meetings going, not on my watch, because that's not your job. That is my job as a parent. And the church is just silent. We just stand around and say, well, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't want to impress my morals on anyone. In Jesus' name, impress away your morals on this world. The world needs it. Amen? And it doesn't mean that we're going to change the morality of the world by legislation. It means that we should be different. So in that school board meeting, you should be sitting in the front, front row going, I vehemently disagree with what you're doing. And people are going to, oh, you're intolerant. Yes, I am. I'm intolerant of the same things that Jesus is intolerant of, and that is sin. And this is sin. Your eight-year-olds do not need to know about lesbianism. But the church just goes, well, you know, I don't want anybody to think that I'm a prude. I'm going to start a new website. It's going to be Prudes for Jesus. <laughs> the world's got enough filth and garbage, amen? It needs more Jesus. Be sanctified, be separate. If we will do that, then we are the counterbalance. We're on the other side of all this stuff. And that's not to be divisive. That's simply to say, look, I actually stand for something. I stand for what God stands for. And he's not okay with you pressing these things into the mind of our most impressionable kids. You wonder why we have these creeps like this Epstein character in New York. It's because we don't do anything about it. The church has been silent. 
Where is the church's voice against pornography? Where is the church's voice against opioid addictions? Where is the church's voice against the things we should be loudly and proudly saying, no, my Jesus wouldn't want that for anyone. But instead, we remain silent. And if we remain silent, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Be ye separate, says the Lord. I applaud people who, and I myself, I would consider myself one of those people who's able to engage constructively in a conversation about which I have extreme feelings. And I can do so and listen to people who disagree with me. And I think that's a very important characteristic that we must also carry into some of these places where the world doesn't want us to be separate. The world wants us to join in. We need to have the love of the Lord. We need to have discernment. But ultimately, family, it boils down to what kind of nature you have. Nature will determine your action. And by that, I do not mean evolutionary study uh, of the individual characteristics of a certain type of life form. I mean, do you have the nature of Christ? Do you actually have the nature of Christ? And you could use all kinds of examples. I put a few up here. But as Christians, we actually, according there to 2 Peter chapter 1, have the exact nature of Jesus implanted into us when we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord. What does it say? It says this. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life, and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue does that sound like filth and debauchery by which we have been given and given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Why is that important to us? Because whatever nature you have, if you're a pig, you will act like a pig. Amen? If you've ever had an opportunity to go to a pig farm and watch pigs, pigs act like pigs. They roll around in mud. They love getting dirty. It kind of keeps them cool. They smell horrifically. They act like pigs. Sheep do the same thing. Follow around a flock of sheep. They all do the same exact stuff. They, in that sense, have DNA of a sheep and DNA of a pig. If you have the nature of Christ implanted into you, shouldn't you act like Christ? Shouldn't we act like Christ? That's a question, family. We should, shouldn't we? So when we're not, we're actually fighting against the new nature that we have in Christ. That's why you feel bad about sin. That's why when you do things you're not supposed to do, your conscience is going, uh 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 That's not who you are. You need to let that go. You need to turn and run away from those things. Because that's not who you are. 
And if you would take it out to a, a bird of prey like an eagle, you're not going to be soaring like an eagle if you're hanging out with turkeys. Amen? So whatever nature you have should determine the actions that you undertake. And we should want to associate with those things intimately associate with those things that please the Lord. So we're not supposed to be yoked together. We're not supposed to be joined together. It's an interesting thing, and it's often missed. When you look at the original command in Deuteronomy chapter 22, it adds a little bit of extra oomph to this. Because when you look at that command, the ox was a clean animal... And the donkey was an unclean animal. And so the command was, don't hook what is unclean to that which is clean. Now furthermore, it's pretty obvious that you don't want to hook an oxen that's shorter and stockier and bigger to something that's a donkey that's taller and thinner. Because if they try and go anywhere, the one who weighs the most is going to go the direction that it wants to go, amen? The one that has the most power. And so when you hook yourself to the things of this world, where do you think you're going to go if you're in the world? The world has tremendous power to draw us away unto itself if we yoke ourselves to that which is unclean. So when you pick up a habit, or here's where it really gets ugly, or you are dating an unsaved guy. And you're banking on the fact that you're going to save them. I can't even tell you how many times I've gone through this particular mindset. Well, you know, I just see it in his eyes. I can tell. Not only can you not tell, you're being deceived. Because it's not that simple. Because until someone has the nature of Christ, they are going to act like the world. It is nearly an impossibility for someone who doesn't know the Lord to do that which is godly and right because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. The carnal mind cannot even know them. That's what your Bible says. So what happens when you put yourself in that situation, little tiny compromises kick in. Well... You know, I know we really shouldn't do this, but, you know, if I have sex with him, maybe, maybe he'll go to church. (laughs) Serious as a heart attack, I have heard that a dozen or more times. Well, I just thought, you know, that's what everybody does, and if we, you know, our relationship wouldn't progress. Let me tell you what you catch. If you go fishing and you fish in the sewer, I can tell you what you're going to catch and you don't want it. You see, whatever nature you have, that is eventually going to come out. And you can hide it for a while. And guys are pretty good at that. Sometimes ladies are good at that. The world is really good at that, but you cannot hide it forever. And then you marry that person. And then the portal into the underworld opens up in your life. 
And I'm not saying every believer who's married to an unbeliever that this happens instantaneously, but you are unequally yoked to the world and eventually, well, we're just not going to go to church, honey, because I say so. I'm sick and tired of you throwing this Jesus thing down my throat. And I have watched marriage after marriage run into the brick wall that is Jesus. Because he's non-negotiable, amen? You can't negotiate around Jesus. He demands respect. He demands your loyalty. And so eventually you're either going to have to abandon Jesus or you're going to have to say, I can't do this anymore. And now you're in a place where you're hanging on some scriptures that God hates divorce. Don't do it. You don't want that breakup. You you don't want that pain. You don't want that sorrow. You don't want that heartache. These words that Paul uses here, fellowship, communion, harmony, part, agreement, the word accord, Our English word symphony comes from that Greek root. You're not going to make a symphony when you're linked to the devil. As a believer, you won't. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be bad, but if you want to make a symphony, you need to be in tune, amen? Have you ever been to a symphony when 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 the orchestra is warming up? And everybody's kind of just, they're getting their strings stretched and they're playing all these, you know, it just sounds awful, amen? And then all of a sudden, what happens? The conductor stands up, taps the lectern, raises his hands, first note, amen? What happens? Instantaneously, everyone is drawn to the conductor and because everyone is on the same page and they're all in the orchestra, beautiful music happens. The same thing is true in your Christian walk. If you think that you can make beautiful music with the devil, here's what's going to happen. It's going to tap the lectern, and you're going to be playing something that everybody else is not playing because they're playing the world's song, and you're trying to play Jesus' song. And it won't happen. There will be discord, disharmony, division. Frankly, they're just simply no coexisting. We've all seen that bumper sticker, amen, coexist. And it has all the world's religions, you know, their symbols on it. I wish that could happen. But in an eternal sense, and I'm not talking about you being a good neighbor. I'm not talking about you being friendly and kind. I'm not talking about you being nice to people with whom you disagree with. I'm telling you, you will never have harmony with a Muslim. Because you don't worship the same God. Because Allah and Yahweh are not the same person. Jesus, that to them, is a prophet, and not a great one at that, to you is Savior and Lord. So what kind of symphony do you think you're going to play? There is no coexistence. Why? Because they're deceived into believing that they also worship the true and the living God. And they don't. 
And so when you, in a relationship, as you're looking towards marriage, say yes to marrying someone who is a Buddhist, or yes to marrying someone who is a Muslim, or yes to marrying someone who is a Mormon, or yes to marrying someone who's an atheist, or even an agnostic, one who believes they're too bright, that thinks they can outthink God, when you get into that situation, it's going to be really tough to play beautiful music together. Because you are disharmonious. You have righteousness and unrighteousness trying to exist in the same space. Can't happen. Because the Holy Spirit and Belial cannot get along. Amen? The devil and the Holy Spirit are not going to occupy the same space. And so there'll be war. There'll be conflict. Light and darkness. There's no merging those two. Light and darkness do not make gray. Do you understand that? Light outshines the darkness 100% of the time. So if light is there, darkness will flee. If you are in that situation, eventually the person who does not know the Lord will say, I've had enough. Enough of this preachy Jesus stuff. You have Jesus Christ the Lord and Belial who is the devil. You have one that is flesh and one that is spirit. Amen? You have one that's the, 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 the ruler of this age whose name literally means destroyer. And the one who is the lion of the tribe of Judah who is the light of the world. Sound like those two can get along to you? You can't. Don't be unequally yoked. Belief, faith, fidelity to the Lord, infidelity, unbelief, flesh, God's holy temple, and heathen idols. You see, sometimes people will come to me, I just don't understand why it's not working. Well, it's because you worship two totally different gods. One is the God of this earth, this age, and one is the Lord of heaven and earth. And they have been duking it out for a long time. And so you don't end up able. You cannot peacefully coexist. Now that war may be lighter at some times than it is at other times. And it may be more intense sometimes than it is at other times. But the child of God who doesn't understand the doctrine of separation sets himself or herself up for the deepest pain that you will probably ever go through in your entire life while you're here on this earth. Because you are going to have to then look Jesus in the eye and say, I chose the world instead of you. You don't want to do that. It will be pain upon pain and sorrow upon sorrow. And because God loves you, he's going to allow the misery in your life. He's not going to just bail you out of it. And so Paul gives this incredible statement. Do not be. It is in the strongest tense of the Greek language possible. It is a command to you. Do not ever think about being this. What's the this? Unequally yoked to an unbeliever. Are you supposed to be nice to your non-believing friends? Absolutely. Loving, kind, gentle. But marry them? 
Start a business with them? Do something that links you together closely? Oh, you can. But if you do, you're setting yourself up. The Bible says don't do it. Are we separated? This is the message John said there in 1 John chapter 1 that we've heard from the Lord and declare to you that God is light and in him is zero darkness at all. None. Not a smidge of darkness. Not an acceptable amount of darkness. Not kind of a little shadowy gray area in your life. It literally says in him is zero darkness. And so that's where we're supposed to hang our hats. That's how we're supposed to live our lives. That's why he would go on in chapter 2 and say, don't love the things of the world. Because the moment you start loving the things of the world, the moment you invest in that relationship with that young man, the moment you have your eyes on that young woman, the moment you decide that you're going to ignore this, you do so at your own peril. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to start to fall for him. You're going to start to head towards the world. And the Bible says that you can't do that and have peace with God. He loves you too much. He loves me too much. You know, as a pastor, you, you kind of get in that place to where the things that you wrestle with are generally in your mind. You know, I, I'm, I'm afraid of God. Just saying. I have a healthy reverence for the Lord. So those things which are, you know, overt, not, not, not doing that. But those little tiny attitudinal things, sometimes I gravitate towards those. You know, I just don't like that person. And Lord, I'm not sharing the gospel with them. You do that. You know, you're walking down the side. You know, if they burn, it's, it's, it's their fault. They, they had a chance. And I'm saying this a little bit in jest, but I'm telling you that we all have those little areas in our lives where we might gravitate towards the things of the world. You know what God does to me? He says, Jeffrey Scott Gill. That's my whole name. Unless you want to go to the woodshed, you better do things my way. And you know what he does? That person comes back and goes to the church. Then they call in for a counseling appointment. And I hear their whole story, and I'm on the floor of my office repenting in tears, like, Lord, man, did I miss that. You see, God wants us to be separate for the right reasons and open for the right reasons. Amen? He simply commands us to come out. And so that separation is a command, not a suggestion. And he's quoting here from Isaiah 52, which is speaking of after the millennial reign, in the, in the time that Jesus rules and reigns. And so he's giving us a view, really, of what lies ahead. And when we look at what lies ahead, we should want to get there right now. Amen? I want heaven on earth. And I'm not preaching a kingdom now theology. I'm simply saying that the more Jesus we can put on the earth right now, the better. Amen? The world doesn't need any more devil, that's for sure. And so he says, come out. And that is a definite act implied upon the hearer. That's what it means in the Greek language. It's like, come out. Not, well, when you feel like it, 
after you've had enough of it, then maybe start working your way this way. It is an imperative action incumbent upon the hearer to get out of there. Pull yourself by your bootstraps and start heading the other direction. It is an equivalent term, actually, to repent. It's turn around and go the other way. Come out. Be separate. And what that word separate actually suggests to us is total devotion to God. It's not just a negative act. It's not just the act of departure. You see, that's a negative act. We just stop doing what we were doing. We depart. That's the negative side. It's the positive side. It's to identify with dedication to the Lord and sanctification to the Lord. It's for us to do, not do the negative thing, yes, but it's to also do the positive thing, which is to be more like Jesus, be dedicated to the Lord, be absolutely purposeful and willful in what we do. This is so key to our growth in the Lord. I must separate from sin, but I separate unto God. Amen? I don't create a void. I don't just flee the sin and go, well, I hope something good happens. No, I gravitate towards the Lord. It's like, God, please change those areas of my life. Please work in me so that I don't even have that attraction anymore to the things of the world. And in our culture, it's, it has never been more important than it is right now. For us to stand boldly for the king and for his kingdom and to come out from the world. and say, look, I'm not going to do this. You cannot have me. You can't have my children. I'm not giving in. I refuse to go the world's way. We are being bombarded. I am watching church after church and denomination after denomination go, you know what? I'm just giving up on this. We're doing gay weddings. Not here. And I don't say that just out of boldness. I'm saying, I can't. That would be the most hateful thing I could do for two people steeped in a homosexual relationship to say, it's okay, me, Pastor Jeff, I approve, God approves, and so let me do your wedding. There couldn't be anything worse than that. That would be me silently hating on them because I know the truth. And it's truth that will set them free. It's not me agreeing with the rest of the world that says, you know, it's okay. Because love is not love. There is agape love, which comes from God. And there is love of friends and love of eros, sexual love. But don't be confused. Not every kind of love is the same kind of love. And so we're to come out. We're to be separate. Man, you want to be hated on? Have you watched what's going on with the women's World Cup team? Almost half of that team are lesbians. Why am I saying that? Because they have tremendous power right now. They're on every news show. They are on every talk show. They're going around the world, and they are flaunting that lifestyle. Like, not only is it perfectly normal... But if you disagree with that, that somehow you're a hater. No, I'm a lover, and I know what my Bible says, and those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so the most loving thing I can do is in a kind and gentle way say, I can't agree with that. As a person, I respect you as a human being. 
I would care for you. I would even go so far as to say, me personally, if it came to someone doing you harm, I would even defend you. I would go to bat for you. I would lose my life to save you because I know where I'm going. But the way you're living your life, God's word says you're going to perish eternally for it because you will not repent. That kind of separate. Are you willing to do that, church? Because you should be. You should be. That type of church is what this world needs. It does not need another church that just says, well, whatever. We have been called to be separate. And it is a command, it's not a suggestion. As you look through the scriptures, you're going to find that Jesus said exactly the same thing. Many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart, for I have never known you. Why? Because you can fake being a Christian. But when you've got the real nature of the real Christ inside of you, you're really going to change. And you're really going to want to be well-pleasing to him. And you're really going to have God's opinion on these things. Really. We get called out. We get called into the kingdom. It's not just a calling out of the world. It's a calling into his marvelous light, isn't it? We have been called into his marvelous light. That means we should be shining and the darkness should be very clear because we're shining. That type of church. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world where tolerance is king. Amen? You can say any vile, despicable thing at any point in time and somebody's probably going to pay you for saying it. It's time that the church said no. Now I'm going to be different. That's wrong. I'm separate. Do you want God's blessing? God can't be to us what he wants to be to us unless we are to him what he asks us to be to him. Does that make sense? Blessings come through obedience. If you want the very best that God has for you, then you have been asked to make yourself, Romans chapter 12 says, I am going to give my body as a living sacrifice, holy unto the Lord, which is my reasonable service. Amen? That's part of that separation. Say, Lord, you saved me. Here I am. I'm yours. So when you want to have God's deepest blessings, you have to give him all of you. You can't hold back anything. You can't just say, well, you know, I'm just going to keep this little bit of sin. If you, if you believe that God blesses those who walk in sin, all you need to do is follow along with us as we finish up the book of Genesis. You have the story of these great godly men, used mightily by the Lord, whose lives are an absolute travesty. And they suffer through pain after pain and anguish after anguish. And you're, you're almost wondering, it's like, Lord, praise God for the grace, but couldn't you do something to find somebody who better represents you? I'll praise God for the grace side of it, amen? 
I do. I praise God for the grace side of the Old Testament. Because I look at some of those characters and I'm like, seriously? You let that dude live? I wouldn't have done that. And then I have to turn around and go, well, you shouldn't let me live either. Amen? When you read the book of Revelation, and this is important for us, the Lord has pulled the church out, the rapture's happened, the tribulation ensues, Christ is speaking to the seven churches that represent the church in the world today and the periods of church history that have existed throughout time, and he begins by saying to almost all of them, I have a problem. There's something seriously wrong. I have a few things against you, he says to the church at Ephesus. It wasn't just a few things. It was a bunch of things. You hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. You eat things sacrificed to idols. You commit sexual immorality. You hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. You just kind of, everything goes, which I hate. He says to that church, repent. Now, if he's saying that in a future sense to the church at Ephesus, don't you think that truth still applies to the church today? And so I'm speaking to all of us, myself included. I want God's blessing. And if I want God to bless me, the shortest path to that blessing is by doing and being what he asked me to do and be. That's the shortest path. That's the shortcut if you want to know one. It's like, Lord, let me be, as as the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 7, holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Now, the flip side of that was Jesus. He was a friend of sinners and publicans. Amen? He hung out with people that were obviously not saved. In fact, he ministered to them. So this is not about you withdrawing into a little world. It's not about us hiding in the church. It's not about us putting up a wall around the compound and like, only the holy people are in here. It's not that at all. It's being so different that when you walk into a store, that smile that you wear on your face, people are going, man, is it... Did you like, what's wrong with you? And you go, no, there's nothing wrong with me. There's something really right with me. I know Jesus personally. I follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you own it. You see, that's the kind of church that the Lord wants. We have to clean up our own lives in order to be that type of vessel. I have to be willing to say, look, Lord, if there's any wicked way in me, just change it, please. As we share in in Father God's life, when Jesus was speaking concerning himself, or in John chapter 14, he's talking through these issues with the Pharisees. In earshot of them, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and the Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him, but he who does not love me does not keep my words, 
That word which you hear is, is not mine, but it's my Father's. In other words, if you want to be connected to the Father, then you can't just be a hearer. You've got to be a doer. That's how we come out. That's how we separate ourselves. And finally, as I wrap this up, we're so prone in our world, and I don't want to besmirch anybody's you know, use of the Internet, but I cannot tell you how many times I have people come into my office, they go, I've got this, 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 and this wrong, and they tell me that they looked on WebMD and they have now diagnosed themselves with like 500 different diseases, and it's all because they have a certain set of symptoms. I got this, I got that. And, and I'm not saying that some of that information at times cannot be valuable. But don't just deal with the spiritual symptoms in your life. Because when you cover up symptoms, you often mask a medical problem. I have listened to people say, well, you know, I do medical marijuana and I take this and a little wine. You know, Paul said, take it for your stomach. Go through all these things, masking the symptoms of life. Well, I just do this to get by. That's masking the symptoms. You need more Jesus, not more drugs. You need more Jesus, not more alcohol. You need more Jesus, not more money. You need more Jesus, not more relationships. You need more Jesus. Because you can mask the symptoms with all kinds of things. There is, as Scripture tells us, a filthiness of the flesh. It's like our flesh likes to get dirty. It likes to roll in the mud. And so you could just do a little spritzy bath and kind of get some of it off you. But that's dealing with the symptoms. You've got to change the inside that says, you know what, that's mud. I'm not going to roll in it. That's dirt. I'm not going to play in it. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to deal with the actual problem and not the symptoms. When you deal with the problem, you're going to find something very interesting. The Lord is more than able. And he can do anything at any time for anyone. But if we just mask it with something, and we don't ask him to change it, say, Lord, I know it's wrong, change it, then you will always have to deal with the symptoms. If you've got some type of, you know, acid reflux disease, you know, the last thing you want to do is just start eating Tums. You know why? Because you're going to feel okay for a while. That stomach acid, it's just going to neutralize it. But if you wake up every single night and you've got acid reflux, you probably need to go see a gastroenterologist, amen? Why? Because you probably have something wrong with you that needs to be addressed. Don't just take Tums for your spiritual problems. Because if you do, you're going to learn to live with the problem. And then one day you're going to find out that not only do you have ulcers, you've eaten a hole in your stomach lining. You've got a far more serious problem, and that's what happens in our life when we will not come out and be separate. We just mask the symptoms. We say, you know, I don't have a problem with that. And you take a little more of whatever you take, 
And all of a sudden you're going, man, I feel worse. I feel terrible. We have to let God deal with the actual problems in our life, and that will always be, have you come out? Have you fled those things? Have you said no to sin and yes to the Lord Jesus? In that sense, we should be always sinning less. We should always be more sanctified, more saint-like, more like Jesus, and more separate, more away from the world, not closer to the world, if we want God's best in our lives. Amen? Would you stand and we'll pray together. And I do realize that this has been a strong message. That's why I prefaced it before I began. We're going to have some pastors up front available to pray with you. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. Say, the Lord brought you here to hear this. Maybe it's not even for you. Maybe it's for your son or your daughter. Maybe it's for your parents. Maybe it's for your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your cousin. Maybe it's for that coworker. That, that they're playing with the world. They're refusing to separate themselves. They claim to be a Christian, but they won't come out. They're in danger. Don't let them walk in that danger ignorantly. I had an interesting thing when we were down in El Salvador. I'm sitting listening to some of these medical problems. They are medical problems that we don't even have here in the United States. Why? Because we have access to such great health care. Everybody does. But down there, people die from decayed teeth. They die from tooth decay. They don't even know. They don't even know if that's what it is. You have the answer for what is killing the world. And the world doesn't know what's killing it. But you do. And so we need to be that voice in this world that says, look, I know, I know what the problem is. I know where the answers are found. And, and you, you pull out your physician's assistant right here for spiritual things called the Bible. And you go, here's what the word says about that. And you share that truth and say, come on with me, let's, let's be different. And God will honor it, amen? Father, thank you. Thank you for the power of your word. Lord, I, I pray. God, I, I, I know I, I spoke strongly tonight, and I, I pray that your spirit would just intercede right now in everyone's life in this room and those listening online, those that will watch this later or hear it later. God, we don't want to be in bondage to some legalistic standard, but God, we know that you've called us out of this world and into your marvelous light. You have called us to be holy as you were holy. You've called us to be set apart and separate for your kingdom. And so, Lord, while we're being loving and kind and gentle and meek and humble, recognizing that we ourselves are flawed, would you help us to be holy in this world? Stand for righteousness. Because that is what you want us to do. And so, Lord, we love you. Pray, God. If anyone's struggling tonight, Lord, set them free. Just release them from the bondage of whatever that thing is, that relationship, maybe that behavior, some sin, or that besetting thing that the author of Hebrews talked to us about there in Hebrews 2. Lord, set us free. 
In Jesus' name, amen.